Would you pray with me, please? Our gracious and good Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would bless our ears to all hear and receive your guidance and your truth this morning, that we would, as a result, be healed, that we would be strong in you, that our faith would be encouraged, and that you would be glorified on the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have the privilege of looking at Psalm 31 this morning, a psalm that has been dear to my heart since I was a little girl. And it just so happens that I have the opportunity to preach on a psalm that has meant so much in my own life this morning. And so Psalm 31 is where we start. David's words, his prayer, a song that the church has sung and read and prayed all through the years. And so Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I'm the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I've cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. 
that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. David says, my life is consumed by anguish. By anguish, by despair, by deep, deep distress. And I think about what does anguish look like and what does it feel like? And some of the images that we've seen on the internet and on television, on the news, of the um, devastation of some of our natural disasters came to mind. Pictures of anguish. Hurricane Harvey coming into Houston. And so there's the winds and there's the rain. And there's the shrapnel, the wind blowing the metal and the roofs and, and so much danger. And then the floods from the rivers rising. And you see it on the people's faces. The anguish, the despair, the feeling that it's coming from all sides and it's continuing and continuing and continuing. And as a country, we're just trying to get our grip after that um, hurricane, right? And trying to figure out how do we help those that are down in Houston. And all of a sudden, we've got a, a storm that's starting and now all of a sudden Irma's coming and it's um, growing to a Category 5. And we're, again, looking at anguish as people are trying to evacuate Florida and the roads are blocked for miles and miles and miles. What should take a few hours took 12, 15 hours of people trying to get away and wondering, will they have anything to come back to? We look at the pictures of Mexico with the earthquake. We look at the faces of the people in Puerto Rico who are wading through water, wondering if their loved ones are okay, if their parents have their insulin. What do people do when things are underwater? I mean, the basics, very basics of hygiene. Suddenly, where is your toilet paper? Where is your bathroom? Where is anything that you're used to and familiar with, right? Anguish, despair, difficult, difficult situation. And this is the kind of, this is how I believe David felt. He used this particular word, anguish. He wanted us to see this was no easy matter of where he was in the desert and what was going on. These attacks from Saul that just kept coming and coming is like our hurricane season this year that we just see one after the other after the other. My life is consumed by anguish. David was in the desert. You read, I hope and trust, you read 1 Samuel chapter 23. 
And in that chapter, we saw again how that David was on the run. He was hiding out, and then the Lord told him, go to Keilah, a city which would actually start to reveal his whereabouts to Saul. Think about that. God gave him a direction that would make him obvious to where his whereabouts were. And then he's on the run from being in the city, and then all of a sudden, then he's sent out, and he goes out into the wilderness, and he's looking for strongholds. He's looking for places that are safe. And he goes to one desert, and then he goes to another desert that's named. And you see those deserts on that map. So Keilah's up in the center, and then Ziph and um, Maon are down lower. And so he's going from a hard place to a hard place. It's saying the desert, and then this desert, and then this desert. He's going from a difficult place to a difficult place to a difficult place. It's a chaotic time in his life. His emotions must have been like a roller coaster. He was strong in the Lord. Pastor Dave reminded us of the strength of David in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he says, my life is in anguish. My bones are crying out. I'm grieving. It's difficult. And they comment on this Psalm 31 as being kind of erratic, like he's, he's present tense, he's past tense, he's saying, you are my refuge, be my refuge. He's back and forth. It's like a roller coaster. That's what he was feeling. Because over and over again, this one that was supposed to be his mentor, Saul, is after him to kill him. And God had told him he was going to be king, and it wasn't looking very much like he was um, in preparation for being anointed king. This didn't look like any kind of preparation for a big event. Like we're going to have a big event. We're going to trust that the Lord's going to give us a big event to celebrate becoming established. Like we're going to be together and be joyful. And what is going on? David's expecting he's going to be king and he's out in the desert. And it's difficult and it's hard. And he's like, this is my preparation? I'm sure he wondered what in the world was going on. It isn't unusual to be feeling strong one minute and then with circumstances to be shaken because David was human. These stories we read about were about people that were human, just like us, that had feelings. How would you feel if you're out running for your life from somebody who was anointed king by the Lord and is supposed to be mentoring you? And so he's out in the desert. It's a wilderness time. And it's chaotic and it's difficult. And there was this danger because he went into a city and he says in, um, in Psalm 31, he says, uh, You have shown me the wonders of your love when I was in a city under siege. Verse 21, a city under siege. What was he referencing back to? He was referencing back to Keilah. He was referencing when he went into this city based on God's guidance to go into the city because the city was under attack by the Philistines, one of God's enemies and Israel's enemies. And he goes in and he goes into this place. It's a city with gates and bars. And Saul went, great. He has just revealed where he is and he's in a place where now we can go and take him. And so he David felt like he was in a city under siege. He goes in, and this is a picture that um, an artistic 
illustration of a battle that happened in B.C. 53, but it's just a picture of how at those times cities had walls around them. They built walls, they had gates, and so they could close off. So if, if an enemy was approaching, they could close the gates. They had this wall for protection. But a military tactic is to besiege the city, to, put, to come against and battle against the city. And what they do, they cut off the supply. So they may be in this compounded city, but the, the enemy cuts off supply comes and tries to intimidate them by presence, by being all surrounding their city. They cut off the water. They cut off food supplies, anything that was going into the city. They try to intimidate. Later, they started to create these logs that were like on a pendulum that would just bang against the wall, bang against the wall. Well, these mason walls, how long can they hold up to this pounding, this pounding, this pounding, this intimidation, this show of force? And so... David was there, had helped the city be delivered from the um, Philistines' attack. And yet when he inquires of the Lord, no, these people are not going to be loyal to David. If they come under siege, they're going to give David up so that the, um, Saul and his forces will let their city be. And so David has to face yet another sense of disappointment that those that he had helped were going to give him up. And so he has to go on the run. There's no safe place to go. Where is he going to go? It's kind of like the hurricane and the earthquake victims. Where do you go when home is no more? And you're looking for that place of peace and trust and harbor and retreat. Well, it says at the end of um, 1 Samuel 23 that he goes down to a rock. And then there's a mountain that separates him from Saul. I think there's more to it and. Pastor Dave said there's about six sermons in this um, passage, and I'd like to preach all six of them at some point. But I'm just going to say he goes to a rock and think about who Jesus is as our rock. All right? And there's a mountain that's separating David from death, and that's where Saul is chasing him. Do you ever feel like you have deserts in your life? Do you ever feel like you're a city under siege? Can you relate in some way to how David must have felt and what he must have been thinking. This psalm, they talk about what's the proper use and what was it used for back in the, the ancient church as they would come and use this psalm. Is it just a psalm about when people are physically coming against you? And they said, no, actually, it can not only be used literally, but also metaphorically. Because the description that David gives of his bones aching, of sighing, of grieving, um, of, of that kind of intense pain, really is, um, is poetic language for any kind of suffering. And so when we're suffering, we are in the company of David. And we are in the company of those who God, he doesn't cause the suffering, but he allows the suffering, and he's got purposes for it. But what are those deserts? that we feel, those times of suffering, those times of lament. I mentioned this was a psalm that has been meaningful to me since my childhood. There were things that were dysfunctional. There were hurts. There were um, dangerous situations. I needed, I related to David. I needed to hear about somebody from the Bible who God loved and called, but yet 
somehow, like the, the little picture of that little eaglet being allowed to drop for a little bit, to learn to, to be, have, become strong and to have faith and to be able to soar. But sometimes when those drops happen in our lives, what does that feel like? Maybe you've had a drop lately. Maybe you've had a position, an opportunity to go, Lord, I hurt. This relationship that I'm in, this um, relationship that I thought should be secure and trustworthy, all of a sudden has turned on me, and I don't know what to do. I'm in anguish. I hurt. You know, have you ever heard that um, ad about depression? Depression hurts. Sometimes our bodies ache, we're tired, and sometimes it's because things are so hard in our lives. Maybe it isn't a relationship. Maybe it's something that's happened in your work setting. Maybe it's something that's going on around you financially that seems to be threatening, threatening. I don't know what it is, but I think if I asked for a show of hands today that most of us would say, I'm either there, I've been there, or I know that this stuff happens and I just pray it doesn't happen to me. But I bet most of us can somehow relate. I got an email or a text message last night from a friend who said, my child broke their nose in the soccer game. We've had three deaths recently and I've got a big um, event coming up next weekend. Could you pray for me? Stuff happens. Stuff happens. And it's at these times Where do we look? Where do we run in our suffering? It's been said that when things get difficult like that, we start running from, but it really makes a difference where we turn as to what we find in that situation. Right? Okay, so we start to run from something. We're saying, this hurts. I I want to get away from this. But then what do we go towards? Because what we go towards is often what we find. And if we turn towards the Lord, we'll find his grace and we'll find his peace. He sends his grace to David in just a beautiful way that I want to take a minute to elaborate on. And it's a committed friend. It's Jonathan. Jonathan, God sends Jonathan to encourage David. And let's look at this. Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. This is what Jonathan said to David. Don't be afraid. My father will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. That's 1 Samuel 23. That's the chapter we read. God sent a friend This is a remarkable friendship. Back a few chapters before in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan had said to David at that time, he sent David out and he said, Go in peace. We have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. They had a friendship where Christ, where God, Jesus wasn't made known yet. They were anticipating him. A little slip there. But, all right. So God was over their friendship, and there was this promise that they made to each other, a promise in God that they would be friends. Friends are loyal. Friends are doing, if it's a friendship in God, it's representing the characteristics and attributes of God to that person. So loyalty, love, faithful kindness to that person. 
And Jonathan has made this covenant to David, and David has accepted that and reciprocated with a a covenant, a promise. But I was reading even this morning how that it was very, very unusual because actually anybody that was going to be in a position of leadership would, um, it was typical that they would kill everybody that could potentially um, fill that spot so that they got rid of any threats of anybody trying to take that position. And so we see how David had to really trust Jonathan. We see how Jonathan humbled himself and was like, God, whatever you want. Because Jonathan was in a position to be next in line when Saul was no longer king. And yet Jonathan submits and says, I'm the Lord's vessel, whatever he wants, whatever role in in my life, I'll just do whatever that role is. And so if David is to be king, then I want to honor God's wishes and I want to support David. That is humility. That is a beautiful, beautiful, remarkable relationship. And so he goes to help him find strength in the Lord. What does it mean that you go help somebody find strength in the Lord? One time I was depressed, very, very depressed. And someone came who um, was kind of one of my unofficial mentors. And they brought me a red geranium. And they brought me some homemade chicken noodle soup. And they basically gave me a pep talk that said, get over it, pull up your bootstraps, and move on. You just got to push through. Well, that was very nice that somebody wanted to come and do some things for me. So I'm not saying that wasn't a nice thing, but it was not exactly the same thing as encouraging and helping somebody be strengthened in the Lord. When somebody came to strengthen me in the Lord, they didn't necessarily come with any gifts in hand, but what they came with was someone that would come and be with me that would come and let me cry, that sat with me when I cried, and that spoke God's truth over my life. And so they said things like this, Gina, God sees and he knows. They said, God says he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. God's word says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's word says that your call is irrevocable. They strengthened me in the Lord because they took me and helped lift my eyes to the Lord and to the truth of his word. They were strengthening me in the Lord. And so... Jonathan goes to David, and he speaks truth. God's called you and anointed you as king. You're going to be king. And then he encourages him, I'm going to support you. And they, again, made a covenant, a promise to one another before the Lord. They were prophesying. He was prophesying what is true and speaking words of encouragement and uplifting. Friends who love well, and I just described a friend who loved me well. The Lord gives us an opportunity. When we make a commitment as members of the church, we promise to love and encourage and support one another. 
And so these are the ways that when you see one each other hurting, you go to that person, you speak words of encouragement. Yes, maybe you give them a ride, maybe you take them some chicken noodle soup, but please don't tell them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Please take them to the word of God. Please speak a word of encouragement to each other, and I see you doing that. And I believe all the more as we see small groups forming, forming community, community that wants to love and encourage and strengthen one another in the Lord, that we're going to see the blessing and the fruit of that in our own lives. We will be strengthened. I believe we see this already in the prayer ministry appointments. How often is it that we speak very words of scripture to someone when we're praying for them and reminding them of truth? And so the Lord calls us to be friends who love well. God sends more grace to David. He sends guidance. And if you read, and if you didn't read 1 Psalm 23, then here's your invitation to read Psalm 20, 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 24 next week. If that's it, yeah. Um, read them both. But look at how many times David inquires of the Lord. David prays. David says, bring the ephod, which is one of the, um, the linen garment that the priest would wear. And that was a way that they inquired of the Lord's will. What is your will, God? What is your will? Give us guidance. Show us the way. He wanted to be in the will of God. And so there's many, many prayers. And God gave answers to those prayers. He also gave protection. Protection over and over. God saves. He rescues. He delivers in answer to prayer. God sends that very grace today in very specific ways. We aren't just taking this metaphorically that God helps us in our suffering, but sometimes we're in very real physical danger, and God helps. And I'm going to ask um, our brother, Brendan, to come forward. And Brendan has agreed to share a little testimony. I felt a prompt of the Spirit. I had a different story in here. And I felt a prompt of the Holy Spirit to call up Brendan and ask him, have you ever known the Lord to be your refuge? And do you have a story that might encourage us? And so, um, Brendan, would you share your story with us? Absolutely. So in 2012, um, I had the opportunity to deploy to Afghanistan, Kandahar. At that time, uh, we were working closely with the uh, Afghan police and living with them and trying to train them so that they could take over the role that uh, U.S. forces had been having in the country since 2001. So it's a long road to come to this point. And we're here at this little outpost. You can see outlined in yellow. And we're largely embedded in the city and um, on our own. We have about a squad worth of people, which is about 13 people um, that we operate with. And we're living with the Afghan Uniformed Police, and we have a small contingent of other U.S. forces that kind of comes in and comes out. We'd already had a pretty rough fighting season during the summer there, and we had an attack on one of our other outposts that injured 18 of our people. So it was very real to us that the Taliban were out in force. On this particular day, um, they had heard that there was going to be an attack, we weren't sure where it was going to happen. We weren't sure exactly what that would look like. So we're all kind of already amped up uh, and concerned. And then we start to hear that there's attacks on small outposts on the far side of the city, way far away from us. But then the radio traffic gets more intense. 
the next thing we know, they're hitting more and more outposts. They're hitting more and more locations throughout the city. And it doesn't take long for us to realize that the Afghan uniformed police have abandoned their posts. We don't know why it was for fear or if they were paid off, but they've left. And the Taliban were sweeping the city. And before you knew it, we and the 13 of us and the small outposts are hearing gunfire not far away. We hear that the Taliban have attacked the small outpost right up there in the left-hand corner there where those small red dots are, and they're moving our direction. The small group that was attached with us attempted to leave the little outpost we are at to head north to link up with other units. As they did, driving on the right side there, the road that goes straight north, they got attacked. Their convoy was hit with such degree that they actually turned around and came back. They couldn't make it where they were trying to go. As they came in, we saw their trucks and all their windows were shot up. They couldn't even see to, to drive through and actually see through the windows to be able to drive properly. Um, there's marks in their trucks where bullets had riddled them. And so they got out and they're all sweating and, and, and panicked and realizing that the city is largely falling into Taliban hands at the time. And we're ordered to go up on the roof. Myself, a machine gunner, two other riflemen, to occupy the roof to attempt to try and defend ourselves because we have no idea how many people are out there or what we're up against. So go up on the roof and quickly realize, without even taking too much of a look around, that all the buildings around us are taller than us. So we're at a tactical disadvantage. And I start to do the math in my head and realize that there's... 12, 13 of us, plus these other individuals who just came back, and we're hearing that they're attacking all these outposts around us and looking behind us, and there's nothing but fields to the south. And the road to the right ends in a dead end. There's one road in and one road out to our little outpost. And all the roads connecting the friendly forces are blocked. We're cut off. So I get up to the top of the roof with the machine gunner next to me, and the two other riflemen. And I'm looking at what protection that we have. And we're in this little alcove where normally they put little cisterns on top of the roof to hold water because it would keep water for um, taking showers and everything like that. And the cistern has been removed, but there's this little tiny alcove we're sitting in. And the cinder blocks that are used to build this little alcove are very thin. So I'm realizing the protection, the physical protection that I have there is very minimal. I've been to Iraq already at this point, and I know full well the bullets will go right through that. And as I'm realizing the gravity of the situation, the gunfire is increasing to the point where we know full well that the enemy is less than a kilometer away from our position. And when we hear that their movements are continuing to move our direction, we realize that this is the time that we have to hold out. And as I'm sitting there, already being a battle-hardened sergeant, having been to Iraq already, I have a machine gunner to my right, I have a rifle with a grenade launcher in my hand, and yet I feel absolutely overwhelmed. And as I'm sitting there, the last place that I felt like I had safety was in the Lord. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm not strong enough for this moment. I don't have enough protection. 
I'm basically back against a wall. I need your help. I need you to protect me. I need you to send these, these people somewhere else that are coming for us potentially to overrun us. And as I was praying that, and it's very visible on my face, the young man next to me, Nick Ruve, who was on the machine gun, he looked over at me and he said, Are you okay, man? And he could see the stress on my face as I'm realizing I'm supposed to lead these men. And he just looks at me and he says, We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And the, the very feeling of the Lord sustaining me and holding me in that moment immediately came upon me to where I felt that no matter what was going to happen next, that the Lord had us in his hands. And within a minute of that happening, for whatever reason, all those little red dots decided to go north. We weren't an important target. They ran into coalition forces and the attack dissipated and the city was restored not long thereafter. But in that very moment when I sought the Lord, he gave me a, a sense of peace that uh, I wouldn't have been able to find even hiding behind that concrete with a rifle in my hand. Thank you for sharing that. Praise the Lord. Friends, um, Brendan was a battle-hardened um, sergeant at that point, and yet he felt like he was broken. And I want to read this because David was strong, and yet what he was enduring made him feel broken like pottery. I want to read this to you. David's word says, I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. Pottery back then was super, super strong because it's what they used for everything. But because it was strong, it also was brittle. So it was strong, but it could break. That's how David was. That's how he felt. That's how Brendan felt. Strong and broken at the same time. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. He calls on that priestly blessing that's been spoken on over him. The Lord bless you. And keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. He recalls that, he brings that to the Lord and says, remember that blessing. And the Lord saves him in his unfailing love. David worships God and the words of this psalm teach us to worship God as a refuge. You are my safe place, you are my sanctuary, you're my harbor, you're my retreat, you're my protection. You are my refuge. He puts that right at the front. You. He doesn't say, my refuge is the Lord. He says, you, Lord, you are my refuge. He's emphasizing that. God himself. It's not a little, it wasn't the little cinder blocks that you said actually a rifle could, you'd seen gunshot go right through that. It isn't that. It's God. God himself is our refuge. 
And this psalm begins and ends, and it's full of trusting God. And it vacillates between, I have taken refuge in you, verse 1. And then he says, um, be my refuge and you keep being my refuge. I mean, he's like, he's, he's back and forth. He's declaring his trust in the Lord and he's saying, and I need you to be this in my life. And because I've asked and I know that it's your will to answer this because I've asked according to your will, then I know you are my refuge. And so he goes back and forth in this relationship with God. And we seek God to be our refuge in every circumstance of life. These difficult times, these times of anguish and difficulty, we don't have to be afraid because God himself is our refuge. David gives us words to worship our eternal refuge. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Into your hands I commit my very spirit, not just my body for protection, not just my mind, will, emotions, my soul, but the very essence of who I am. I commit to you because you, God, are eternal. You'll hold me forever. I can trust that you'll be my refuge and my stronghold forever. You'll be that outcropping, that you'll be that strategic location, that military place, God himself will be that location, that he will be that for us. And it's these words that Jesus drew from when he was on the cross. And he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And saints, through the years, believers in God have used those very words. In church history, we read that Jerome was uttering these words as he died. Martin Luther was uttering these words as he died. John Knox was quoting from Psalm 31 as he passed. We have a refuge if you know Jesus. And because of what he did for us on the cross, that we can entrust our very essence, the very essence of who we are, knowing that we, he will be that eternal refuge. Eugene Peterson wrote a book about David and about this wilderness time. And he pointed out that the, the desert is a dangerous place, but it's a beautiful place because we encounter the Lord there. We encounter the wonders of his hesed, his love. His love, his everlasting faithful love to us, demonstrated by Jonathan, but on steroids. Forever and ever, God loves us. We learn in the desert to trust God as our refuge. Why is it important to trust God? I want to just read a couple of scriptures. We trust God because he's our safety. And when Daniel was lifted up from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. When we learn to trust God, we learn to put ourselves in a position of safety. When we learn to trust God, it results in us having a steadfast heart. We aren't anxious. We're not in that anguish. What's the opposite of anguish? Despair, that, that horrible, gut-wrenching, ugh, the groans that just keep going and the sighs that keep happening. It's a steadfast peace. Psalm 112.7 says, He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. The Lord allows 
this training ground to teach us to trust in him, to be strong, and to wait on him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would encourage us in it to trust you, to be strong and take heart, 